Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. We had a great time first service. Uh, if you're online watching this morning, we're so glad to have you. And uh, man, it's just an awesome day. I'm excited about a lot of things, excited about the message. Um, I'm even excited about this. So you guys see me bring this up every week. Um, it's got all my notes in it. Um, I'm kind of particular on what I use, and so there's a brand called Moleskin, and that's what I order. Um, when this came in, like, well over a year ago, I didn't realize it was going to be so Baylor green, and uh, our children's ministers had a whole lot of fun with that, so getting maroon for this next one. Um, this, this summer, we've just kind of looked at a number of different things and said, hey, there's always something we can go a little bit deeper, we can learn a little bit more about. A couple weeks ago, we started looking at some of the attributes of God, and we saw that He's all-knowing, he's everywhere at all times, he's all-powerful. Um, we're going to continue that, and really we could continue talking about the attributes of God for a long time, um, but today's is one that's less an attribute, and it's more who God is. This morning we're going to be talking about his holiness, what makes God holy, everything like that. And to kind of get our minds working on it, a lot of us have been somewhere, we've seen something in our lives, and we would say that is awe-inspiring. Um, last month, or actually a month before that, my wife and I, we got to go to Mexico, we went to Chichen Itza, and got to see one of the huge Mayan temples and their entire complex, and I'm looking at this huge temple, and you can't get on it anymore, I was kind of sad, I was going to do the rocky thing up it, um, but I'm looking at it, and then they take us to another area, and that's kind of where the whole human sacrifice, that culture happened, but then they took us to this massive pavilion, and it's where they played sport games 1,500 years ago. It was a strange sport where you had this metal ring and you would have to hit a rubber ball through it using only like your thighs and hips. Um, they had a weird thing at the end of it where the team captain that won, he was sacrificed. It's a strange culture. Um, but looking at all this and the acoustics of it, it was amazing. Next month I'm going to go to another amazing place that's awe-inspiring, at least to me, not to everyone. Um, but about the middle of the month I'm going to go and take one of my boys and we're going to go and join 100 plus thousand other people clad in maroon and white in College Station, Texas, and cheer on my team. Some of you are like, I'm out on that. Um, but if you've never been to a stadium like that, it is absolutely deafening at times. It sways whenever they do the war hymn. They actually have to put something in the stadium for like new broadcasters. They're like, hey, don't freak out if this thing starts moving. Um, it's, it's designed to do that. But you walk in and it's... It's like walking into the Colosseum. But next summer, my little nerd self gets to go to the Colosseum. Uh, I'm going to spend a couple days in Rome, and I'm going to take in sites that I know, at least for me, are going to be awe-inspiring, to see the Colosseum where Russell Crowe fought those amazing battles. Um, <laughs> and uh, already i got some plans for that one too, but those, I know I'm going to be blown away. Like everybody has that thing that you see and it's like, man, this is so much greater. And as great as those things are, whatever it is for you, maybe it's a vacation spot you've taken, maybe it's somewhere you traveled to, nothing is going to be as awe-inspiring as the holiness of God is. There's sometimes when we think about God's holiness, it seems like such a big thing to grasp and it seems like such a big thing to take in until you experience it. Two times in the Bible, there's a record of someone being called into the throne room of God. Each records something that happens in the same way. That there are these angels that fly around God, and the only thing they say is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to look at it in a minute. And as far as we know, that's their sole purpose in life. 
and yet it never gets old because they are engulfed in God's holiness. One day we'll get to spend an eternity there, and that's why I tell people, like, when it comes to funerals, you're never going to hear me say, like, it's, it's, heaven's like your best game of golf. Don't sell yourself short. If these creatures can fly around for all eternity and just repeat this over and over again, God's holiness must be pretty amazing because it never gets old for them. And then you've got someone like Job. If you've ever read through the book of Job, Job's got some friends. We're going to look at that a little bit later as well. And there's a point where Job's gone back and forth with him, and then God shows up. And it's, I, I love it because it's kind of sarcastic, God. Like, this is paraphrased, but he basically looks at Job and goes, hey, where were you when I built all this stuff? And Job is blown away. He says, I take back my words. Like, I, I don't even want them out there anymore. I'm in the presence of your holiness. Moses is walking along. His bush is on fire, begins to speak to him. Tells him the ground that he is on is holy, and he has to take his sandals off because he's not worthy. God's holiness is unbelievable when we experience it. And so I hope we experience that a little bit this morning through worship, through scripture. But let's ask the question, what does it mean to say God is holy? We talk about God's holiness. I mean, we've been singing about it this morning. But what does it mean to say that God is holy? Well, to be holy is a couple things. We're going to look at a couple things that it is for God and then what it means for us as well. To be holy is to be distinct, separate, and unique. It's in Psalm 86, verse 8. David's talking says, There are none like you among the gods. Note that is a little g. There are none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. David's speaking here, and man, David got to experience the holiness of God a number of times. Felt God's presence as he was just a young boy with a sling facing a giant. There were times where he just couldn't contain himself and just had to dance for God's glory. And yet here he is talking and he says, There is none like you. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. His holiness kind of carries this idea that he's a, he's a cut above all. It can be something good, but God is going to be better. There's times in life where we experience something. We say, hey, that was a lot better, but God's going to get that one. Recently, Whitney and I had a gift card. We went out for a date night, and uh, we went to Copper Creek. And knowing that I have a gift card, thank you, somebody. Um, I'm looking at the menu, and it's like, this is a Wagyu filet. I've never had Wagyu. But he was like, what is that? And like, I started to explain it, and she's like, stop talking. Like, you're nerding out over a cut of steak. But it's a really good cut of steak. It's a special breed of cattle, and they brought it out, and I bit into it and went, this is a cut above, and it's going to be the last one I have for a while. <laughs> um, but whatever that is that we look at and go, that's so much better, then God shows up. And his holiness, it's not that it's just a single attribute, it's who he is. We know that God is love. We know that God is holy. And any time that someone is in the presence of his holiness, they crumble in humility. No one in recorded scripture shows up to God and goes, look how awesome I am. Proud of yourself? Like, no one does that. There's this moment where it's just 
humility overwhelms them because his holiness is so great. In Isaiah chapter 6, we get to read about that. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called in the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is a pretty major prophet in the Old Testament. He had things that were given to him by God, and he would give those to the people. He was respected. This is a guy that a lot of people go, man, I would aspire to be like Isaiah. And one day, God calls Isaiah up into the throne room, and man, the scene that he sees is unbelievable. The train, like the robe of God literally fills the temple. You've got these creatures that are flying around, crying out to God. There's smoke. I mean, he is terrified in this moment. This man who most people would say, if, if you can be as good as Isaiah, you're, you're doing pretty well. And then Isaiah meets God's holiness. And what does he do? He says, woe to me. Or woe is me. For I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Oftentimes as we're growing in our faith and we're maturing, we will find areas that we go, hey, I, I see that that's an area God needs to, to work on. He needs to refine it a little bit. And we see that area and we work on it hopefully and we progress in that. Then he teaches us something else and shows us another area. If, if you want a really good book on the holiness of God, there's one called The Holiness of God. Um, it's by a pastor. He's passed away. He's one of my favorites, so a guy named R.C. Sproul. Um, he talks about this chapter, and he talks about what I just said. That most of the time, our, our sin is given to us in these little nuggets that we get to refine. Isaiah shows up in the throne room of God, and it's like everything in him that was unclean comes out all at one time. All he can do is melt down. I mean, he is over, overwhelmed by God's holiness. His holiness is what sets him apart from us. Sometimes, and this next part I want to try and be careful on, um, we, we can definitely have a personal relationship with God. I think we always are very clear on that. Um, here we have the creator of the universe, and yet we're given the opportunity to pray and speak with him at any point. Uh, we get the opportunity to know him through Christ. Um, but sometimes we take that a little too far. Um, Psalm chapter 50. Verse 17, it says, and this is God talking. It says, for you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him. You keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was like one of yourself. But now I rebuke you, and I lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. That one spot where he goes, you thought that I was one like yourself. 
Sometimes when we don't dwell on God's holiness, we kind of bring him down to almost like this buddy level. Um, and God reminds us, yes, you can know me. You can know me deeply. You can know me personally, but it doesn't make you God. And so many times, if we're not careful, we'll think of him more as like the buddy friend that we run to to hang out with. Or years ago, it was the whole homeboy thing. Um, if you if anyone's watching or listening, if you had this shirt, sorry, I'm going to make fun of it. Um, years ago, that whole homeboy thing, like I had a shirt that said Dirk is my homeboy because Dirk Nowitzki is my favorite basketball player. But there was also one that said Jesus is my homeboy, and it's got him like pointing like this. And I would tell people wearing him like, he's not your homeboy. Like he's a little bit more than that. Um, let's not bring him to our level. Let's elevate him to his holiness and status there um, because that holiness, it sets him apart. His holiness, and I actually changed my notes. At first I had, his holiness requires respect and obedience, and I scratched one word out because the more I thought on it, his holiness demands respect and obedience. Respect in the idea of when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not, oh, he's, he's going to smite me or something like that. It's a respect. It's a respect that you give to something that you know is greater. That's why if you're working around heavy machinery, that's why we have safety things in play. That's why whenever you're working with fire, you understand there's something bigger going on here. Like, I have a respect for this. His holiness demands our respect. His holiness demands our obedience. And everyone who's ever in his presence, that's where they run. They don't puff themselves up. They throw themselves down before him because they understand he is greater. He's distinct and he's set apart. And he is unique. Also, to be holy is to be absolutely pure. 1 John 1, five, John's talking, he says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Like we, we like purity, right? Like I think most of us would go, yes, we, we want that. Like if we take a, you know, a, a precious metal like gold we know there's like 10 carat 14 carat 24 carat like if someone's randomly going to give me something gold I would take the 24 knowing that's the purest that you can get and it's got more wealth and value to it you take a diamond I remember diamond shopping for an engagement ring and learning all of those you know the cut and cost and clarity and all that stuff and you look at one you go wow that's really nice and then they can hold up another diamond next to it and suddenly you're like oh I can see all the flaws that are here and we want one that has more purity and clarity. If you take water, if I put two cups of water up here and offer it to you and say, hey, that one's got a little dirt in it and that one doesn't, I, I can probably tell you which one you're going to pick, right? Like we like the idea of purity. And God is completely pure because of his holiness. That holiness brings a purity to where everything he does is right. Everything he does leads back to his glory. Even this is, this is how we know that the level of God's purity. So we're reading in Isaiah, and you've got these angels, the seraphim, six wings. That's why in the Bible, anytime an angel shows up, it's terrifying. And, and the people typically will fall down to worship him, and the angels are always like, mm, 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 get back up, um, don't worship me. But these angels, we know they weren't cast out of heaven, they are sinless creatures. And yet being sinless in God's presence, what are they doing? They cover their face. That's how much more pure he is than even this sinless creation. His mind is pure, so there is no deviation from his will and glory. That means he is never distracted from his plan. In God's purity and holiness, when Adam and Eve 
bit into that fruit and became sinful people. There wasn't a spot in his mind that deviated and goes, what do I do now? It was already on the plan. Whenever Jonah got on a boat and went the wrong way, his mind never deviated. He already knew, I've got a fish over here to take care of this. Throughout Scripture, all the times where our minds would get distracted. I mean, you watch even the disciples after Jesus is arrested. What happens? They scatter. They had a plan. I mean, we're going to follow Jesus. And suddenly, that plan changed, and they scattered. God's purity means that his mind never deviates from his plan to see his will and his glory take place throughout all of the cosmos. And so, we look at that. We start to understand, man, we serve this perfect and holy God. One day we're going to spend an eternity in worship to him. But what does that mean for us now? One, it means only holy people see God. Now we're going to go on a little trek here real quick. It's going to start a little wobbly, and I promise it will end on a higher note. But in Job chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Can mortal man... Be in the right before God. Can a man be pure before his maker? That's a very important question to ask. This is one of Job's friends talking. Job's friends were jerks, if you ever read through the book of Job. Um, but this guy, Eliphaz, he asks a pretty good question. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Left to our own devices? The answer is no. I mean, even hundreds of years ago, Martin Luther was teaching a summer school class, and he really started wrestling with, like, how can I, as a sinful person, stand justified before a holy God? This idea of justification, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. It's a pretty big question. And left to ourselves, we can't do anything. You can't pretty yourself up enough. There's not enough self-help books. Being religious, that doesn't change it. Like, if it stops there, it's pretty dismal. <laughs> Because you've got this holy God, and here's the thing that is amazing within that. If it stopped right there, God would still be perfect and holy and just. Thank God for his grace. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What God's holiness demanded his grace provided through Jesus Christ. That holiness was poured out through Jesus Christ. And his grace was given to us through him. And it's only through Christ that we can experience what it feels like to know a holy God. And so in his perfect timing, he looked throughout all of what we would call created history. And he knew the exact moment. I'm going to send my son. He's going to step out of heaven into a pretty humble beginning, creator of the universe and a feed trough. And he's going to grow up, and he's going to grow up sinless. I laughed earlier. I was like, can you imagine being one of Jesus' brothers growing up? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Come on. Like, it's not fair. But lives a sinless life. Begins to teach, begins to minister, begins to share about the kingdom of God with people. Ultimately goes to a cross lays down his life so that you and I could experience forgiveness for all the things that we've done. He changes the answer to that question. Can a mortal man stand before God? Through Christ, yes. 
what his holiness demanded, his grace was provided. And when we have that moment where we experience that, where we say, hey, I, I see the sin and fault in my own life, and I, I want to turn away from that. I want to follow God through Jesus Christ. Scripture says that we're made into a new creation, and suddenly this idea of holiness, we start to experience it. We start to experience that, yes, our God is holy, and I'm not, but it's through Jesus that I can come to him. And it changes us. Hopefully, we want to pursue that because it's also the expectation. So, 1 Peter chapter 1. Get my stuff back out. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Peter's going to say some things that, I'm going to be very honest, this is a difficult thing. Like the passage is, it's not hard to understand, it's a little harder to follow. Verse 14, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's a nice way of putting that, Peter. But as he, um, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. There are some scriptures that are just difficult. Years ago, taught through Ephesians, and man, we got to Ephesians chapter 5, and you got to talk through husbands and wives. That's a lot of fun in today's context. Um, and we said, hey, these are hard, because Paul's pretty clear. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. I know I'm a moron. Who would want to submit to that? But what he says to the husbands, I will say, is much harder. Because he looks and he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Perfectly. Holy. Led well. Laid his life down for. And that's, that's what I'm supposed to That's impossible. And yet we are called to do something that seems impossible. We know that God is holy. And yet here Peter's quoting some Old Testament. He says, just as he is holy, you are to be holy. You're to be holy in your conduct. When we go out this week and we look around and we see people that are hurting, we feel for that. When someone is talking to us and we feel our anger rising, we go, you know what? I'm going to let it go. And we look around and see the opportunity for ministry. When we look around and see the opportunity for worship, when we look around and see the opportunity to point someone towards this Savior, we do it. We let our conduct be holy. Now, we're not going to be as holy as God, obviously. But here we are being called in Scripture to do our best in everything. And so I don't know what that looks like for you this week. What that holy conduct change needs to be. Because we all know, yes, when I read that, there's like, oh gosh, there's a lot of things. If I know what that holiness looks like, if I have experienced that, if I've been changed and I know that I'm called to do that, it has a profound impact in the way that I view people the way I view my job, the way I view my family, the way I view my community, the way I view my world. There's so many areas where our conduct can be more holy like God. And that's where you've got to look at it this week. What does that look like in your life? I don't know. I'll let you and God talk through that. But I'd also encourage us, let's dwell on that holiness this week. That we have a God that is perfect and pure, and yet he still calls us into a relationship with him dwell on God's holiness this week 
what you'll find is it'll lead to a lot of humility as well. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for the things that you're doing in our life. God, thank you for your holiness. Thank you for that purity that you bring. God, we know that you are God and you are above all, and yet you also love us in that grace. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching online, and that's never been a personal thing for you. You've, you can look and say, look, I know there's sin in my life, but I've never turned away from that and wanted to follow God. And you could do that today. We talked through Christ lived a sinless life so that he could lay it down. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. Knowing that he would bring about salvation for his people. And if you're ready for that this morning, I would encourage you to say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and follow him. If you did that this morning, I encourage you, put that on a connect card. Come and talk to one of us. We want to celebrate what God is doing and to hopefully point you towards more of a holy life. God, for all of those that are in Christ this morning, I pray that our conduct would be holy that we would pursue you with great love. We ask all of that in Christ's name. Amen.